It's Wednesday, July 31st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Motley Fool Supernova, Matt Argusinger. Happy final day of July, guys. Yeah. Happy hump day. Hump day. Happy hump day. We hump were just day. talking. Oh, wow, uh, God, time's flying. We've had a we've had a really nice string of weather lately. Mm. And that, of yep. course, the fact that I've just said it out loud means I've jinxed it and it's going to end. Enjoy but, uh, it while we have it. But, uh, yeah, this is one of those let's have class outside kind of days. <laughs> uh, we'll talk uh, earnings because it is earnings season. Buffalo Wild Wings, SodaStream. And, frankly, uh, we're going to talk about what's going on with some of the high-profile people on Wall Street. And I'm, I'm speaking of people like Bill Ackman and, and, and these big Hedge fund managers. We'll, we'll get to that in a second, but let's get to the earnings first. Uh, Buffalo Wild Wings, second quarter profit up 41%, shares up more than 7% this morning. Jason, we talked about this a little bit earlier in the day. You look at the same store sales numbers that they are starting to crank out, and they're starting to get pretty impressive. Yep. I mean, there's a reason why the stock's up 7.5% today. It was a, a really solid quarter, and uh, like you mentioned, they, they were able to to exceed expectations and sales and, and earnings and, you know, their, their comparable store sales are performing very well. And I think really what the big story for, for Buffalo Wild Wings has been over the past uh, couple of quarters has been the new pricing system that they've been gearing up to implement. And, and for those who aren't familiar with it yet, it's, you know, for the longest time you would buy your wings from Buffalo Wild Wings by the quantity. Give me a six wings or eight wings, whatever. Uh, the problem is they, they buy them, um, by weight. And so they buy them by weight, charge them by quantity, and and so they were very subject to what we what we lovingly refer to as the chicken wing risk, where uh, they were always subject to the the fluctuations in chicken wing prices, which believe it or not uh, are are relatively volatile. Uh, so what they decided to do was to implement this new pricing policy where they charge by weight, and I think there was some skepticism out there, myself included. I mean, I I wasn't sure how they'd be able to pull it off, but essentially, speaking from experience, like I was saying earlier, Charlie Travers and I got to go do a little market research, and they've really done a good job, I think, educating their staff, who in turn is able to educate the customer on how this works, and the way they communicate it on the menu is you're going to get a small order, it's going to be at least five wings, maybe it'll be six, who knows, but you know they're they're doing it by weight, so you're getting uh, really about the same amount of food. They've just done a really good job of communicating it. And so hopefully over time, uh, what that'll be able to do is to smooth out that chicken wing risk and, and the costs involved. Uh, and, and then the other, the other, you know, upside to that is I think because they, they're only about halfway to their target of 1700 stores, you know, they're going to be able to open these new stores with that new pricing policy already in place. There's not going to be a tremendous education curve, so to speak, that they're having to deal with right now with, with the stores that are open. So, uh, really solid quarter. I'm excited. We could go out to Minnesota in a couple of weeks for a one event and we're going to actually get to meet and talk with Sally Smith. And, uh, and I think this will be a nice segue to that. Well, first, I want to thank you and Charlie for selflessly going to do the research. We go the extra mile here at Market Fuller. Mm. I mean, it's, it's a tough <laughs> stuff has to get done. You know, exactly. and, and it's, I, I didn't even submit for reimbursement. I mean, wow. I'll just be very frank here. I was, I was, I took one for the team. Our dozens of Charlie listeners did expect too. no less. Um, all kidding aside, Maddie, I remember we, we had talked about this when this new pricing plan was going to be rolled out. I don't know that I was necessarily 
skeptical, but I did look at this plan as, wow, this could go badly. This just struck me as the sort of thing that <laughs> this makes perfect sense. I understand why you're doing it, but if you don't execute this the right way, this is going to go horribly wrong. Right. I mean, it's like it's it's sort of like what Netflix tried to do with their pricing scheme a couple of years ago. I mean, people are used to something, you know, whether it's Buffalo Wild Wings or Starbucks or any experience. And as soon as you change that, especially a change like this, you got to get it right. And you know, apparently they've gotten it right. But one thing I wanted to point out, I thought that was interesting. I don't, I don't, didn't read the release, and so I don't know where I, they actually said this, but they said. You know, their same-store sales, at least for the quarter, were a little lower than they wanted them to be, and that was because there was one less Ultimate Fighting Championship this season Wait, compared what? to last year. That, I'm reading that's what I'm reading in one of the, in one of the, the AP report here, um, which is just funny because you know it just shows you Buffalo Wild Wings is so much is still so much a sports event-driven oh, man, kind of place. It is you know, tied to that no football question. games on or fantasy. You know, I know they host fantasy football parties. That's a big part of it. So. That was that was one of the things they mentioned. So you know, it's better than weather. I'll give. Them I that. was just going to say, if you're if you're investing in Home Depot, you have to be prepared for weather to get brought up. Apparently, if you're investing in Buffalo Wild Wings, you have th- this is a legitimate thing. Yeah, I mean, the more UFC events, the better for Buffalo Wild Wings. Just keep There's bringing just no question keep about bringing it. them. Um, you look at shares up. Gosh, uh, I think somewhere close. I mean, with the rise today, shares of Buffalo Wild Wings up close to forty percent year to date. Yeah. That seems like it's entering frothy territory. It, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, like 35 Spicy. times earnings. I mean, the thing is, it, you get what you pay for, I think, in a lot of cases, and this is no exception. I mean, this is a very quality company, very well-run company with an, an excellent management team in place. Uh, now, with that said, I, I am also a firm believer that price always matters. And for me, I do feel like this is obviously trading on a lot of good news today. Um, I, I think that Buffalo Wild Wings makes for a great holding, but I also think that you have to wait uh, to pick up shares opportunistically. I would wait for them to miss uh, in earnings uh, expectations or, or some type of headline event that, that brought the stock price down. It's a little bit higher than I'd like to see it today. SodaStream's second quarter revenue up 29%, profit up 36%. They raised their guidance uh, I mean, is there is there any downside to the quarter they just executed, man? <laughs> no, I mean by all accounts, this was this was a home run quarter on on the top line on and the bottom line. You know, I, I have to admit, even though I'm on our rule breakers team here at the Motley Fool, I, I've been skeptical of SodaStream. I'm actually skeptical of any sort of kitchen appliance type of company, only yeah. because you know if you think about it, most people. Um, most people have a limited space on their kitchen counter. Once yes. you get past the toaster, the coffee machine, the microwave, those are the essential ones. And then you know, after that, it gets it gets hairy. It's like yeah. I, I, got, I got a blender. I can put that somewhere maybe. But uh, after that, it's like, what do I do? And I always thought SodaStream was one of those peripheral things that would end up in some cupboard. Yes. But apparently not. No, people love their SodaStream. They're using it. I mean, unit sales were up. Um, you know, Their uh, consumables were up. It was a very strong quarter. Um, you know, there was rumors a little while ago that PepsiCo might buy, buy them out. That sent the stock surging. That kind of fell through. Stock came down. But right now, it's back to up where it was, right at the uh, sort of frothy potential buyout price. So, yeah, I, I I will point out one thing, though. 46% or so of the shares were short going into the results. So, yep. in my mind, they didn't have to do a lot right uh, to send the stock. And the stock's up almost 15% today. So. Yeah, I... You anticipated right where I was going, which was the the short interest. And how it, this is one of those things where it can be tough sometimes if you're an investor and you're looking at a stock, trying to separate out what is what drives a stock on a particular day, particularly when there is a significant movement. Shares when we walked in the studio this morning, shares were up fourteen percent. Is that 
mainly being driven by shorts covering uh, people who are shorting the stock, sort of covering their uh, their position, or or is it is the future really that bright? I you know I haven't looked at the volume. I'm sure the volume's huge today. They, there was about 7.4 million odd shares that were short. Yeah, you know that we see we see this happen a lot. I think a lot you know there's a lot of skepticism around, especially growth companies like this. Yep. And when they put a result like this, and and by all accounts, this is this is a good result. I mean, I think the stock would be up, um, you know, would be up even without the short interest, but it might not be up fifteen percent, which is what it is yeah. now with the short. So I, I have to believe that the shorts are a big part of this. Wasn't I reading somewhere recently that Green Mountain Coffee was looking at um, developing a system similar to this? That's right. Yeah, yeah. they are. Yeah, yeah. in a way that in a way, yeah, and I that. We look at that all the time and say, "Gosh, that's a risk, right?" But in a way, sometimes it validates the trend. Oh, right? yeah. I mean, yeah. and when like when Starbucks signed on with Green Mountain a couple of years ago, which was a shock because we always thought Starbucks was going to get into it. Well, they have get, gotten into the, the single cup, but guess what? It just validated Green Mountain, and I think that's the same thing it's done for SodaStream. What did you guys? Now that we have a little bit of distance from the time that the uh, reports rumors uh, first came out about Pepsi possibly buying SodaStream. What did you guys make of that rumor? It it struck me uh, as sort of odd at the time. It was one of those things, and I it, uh, this doesn't happen to me often, but it was one of those stories that I just looked at, and immediately my reaction was, "Well, that doesn't make any sense." I that that, that uh, what little I know of SodaStream and the way mm-hmm. they have built their business, I don't think they want to be part of the Pepsi empire. And if I'm Pepsi, I want people buying my stuff. I don't want them making my stuff in their homes. Yeah, it, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, especially if, if you recall the SodaStream Super Bowl commercials, which, is, which essentially were, were saying, hey, the bottle, the, you know, the bottle soda makers are evil, and, you know, here's, here's the solution you need. And so, but, you know, maybe, maybe it was a way for, uh, you know, Pepsi to say, to acknowledge the fact that this is a trend. You know, if, if people are interested in making sodas, well, let's get our brands in there. Let's get our flavors in there. Let's let's at least be part of that trend as opposed to fighting it. Yeah, I mean, I think what makes more sense is what we saw with that relationship they forged with Whirlpool, right? Because I mean, I think really the key is if you, I mean, like if you could have a refrigerator with that sort of that soda water dispenser, I mean, that would be pretty cool. Yeah, I think a lot of people would really be into that. The Pepsi, yeah, it didn't make any sense at all, really, because it just it just doesn't seem to. They just seem to be completely at odds. Uh, but but the Whirlpool thing, yeah, that's a, that's a good relationship, and I think really from that. Makes a lot of sense that SodaStream would be able to kind of keep going on their own. Well, and that gets back to the point that Matt made earlier about the whole notion of space in the kitchen. I know that the uh, woman, yeah. woman in my home to whom I'm related by marriage uh, is very particular about counter space in our not very big kitchen. So the, the, whole, here. Yep. the whole notion of a, a, another gadget on the shelf. But hey, if, as you said, if it's built into the fridge, uh, I think I'm mm, um, Headline in today's Wall Street Journal. Ackman's Pershing Square to announce the largest ever investment. This is a reference to Bill Ackman, the activist investor, who presumably had some uh, great money-making calls in his past uh, before things like JCPenney, which didn't really work out for him at all. <laughs> um, and that was in the paper this morning. The, the announcement was made that uh, uh, Ackman has bought uh, a nearly 10% stake in a company called Air Products and Chemicals, ticker symbol ADP. Uh, and we were kicking around this morning. Uh, you look at, I mean, you mentioned trading volume, Matt. The shares of ADP that are going to get, uh, is, is it ADP or APD? APD, sorry. Um, uh, it's going to be three times the normal volume, possibly four. 
times the normal volume today, which says to me that you've just got all of these people blindly following, like, well, Bill Ackman's behind it. I think the technical term is lemmings, <laughs> right? I didn't want to use that, but sure. I'm sure there are a few lemmings out Blind there. Blind herd. But, I mean, it, when you see something like this, does it just... Do you shake your head? Are you depressed? Or or selfishly, as an investor, do you think, you know what, that's great that there are people out there because it takes two people to make a market, and if they're out there buying that, then they're not buying a company that I'm interested in, and I get it at a better price. Yeah, you know, it, I, I think that's it. You know, if I'm an investor, I'm an outside shareholder. You know, um, if I see someone like Ackman come on board, it's usually a good sign for me because he's also generally a minority outside shareholder. And in his case, he wields a lot of capital. He can make things happen. Uh, Jason and I were talking about the show. You know, a lot of these guys, though, and I think Ackman falls a little bit into this, is they've made their reputations not by doing really big things, but just by being loud. For you know, right. Like Ackman, I mean, Ackman, I think, has a pretty decent track record. He had Gotham Partners was his, was his original fund, which which did I think did really well. Um, and then he you know founded Pershing Square after that. Uh, and he had he had a pretty public dispute with MBIA for many years and he was eventually proven right he was kind of disputing their their investments and their CDO relationships and when MBIA crashed in 2008 with everything else he looked like a you know he looked like a, a winner but if you look at since then you know he he's had a, he had a pretty public bout with with Target that didn't end up anywhere he he at some point owned 35% of Borders I believe that didn't really work out holy cow and you know yes and we, we <laughs> as you mentioned Chris JC Penny and and Herbalife which is kind of his most recent kind of public uh, investment short uh, has not really worked out either. So to the extent that there's so many lemmings out there still following Ackman and every sort of time he's in the, you know, public space and, and recommending something or saying he's interested in something. It's it's a little silly to me at this point. Well, and and it does seem and I think you touched on this point. It does seem that if you're already a shareholder of a company and a Bill Ackman or a David Einhorn or you know or one of these people comes on board History shows we do see that one day pop. Mm -hmm. We do see that one day reaction where people, where there is sort of the, the, the lemming effect and shares are up 3%, 5%, whatever. And you know what? Great. But then I, I think you, you almost need to step back and say, well, now wait a minute. Now is now the time to sell my stock if I've if if it's worth more than it was a week ago is uh, I don't know. What do you think? Well, Chris? I think a lot of times, I think Maddie's exactly right. These guys, the, these are Good investors. I mean, I, I hesitate to call them great because they've certainly lost some big bets. But they are obviously very good investors with some some big wins under under their uh, you know under their uh, coat. But whatever. I mean, it's it's. I feel like you look at something like Einhorn, for example, when he called out Chipotle in October. He called out Chipotle for a short, and that that stock closed around three hundred dollars that day. I mean, it fell. People followed. You know, his his argument was Taco Bell was going to bring. Uh, you know, a lot of competition, and Chipotle needed to look out. Uh, the stock continued to kind of tank a little bit. They had an earnings release in the middle of October that I think allowed people to kind of pile on. And so during this time, uh, you know, I mean, I started really looking closely at Chipotle because for me, it, it was a very attractive growth story with a very quality business. And, I, you know, I really started talking this up with Tom Gardner a good bit because – to me, it represented an outstanding, <clears throat> excuse me, an outstanding opportunity uh, for us in, in one to add to the everlasting portfolio. We had we had a new report coming out in December, and, and to me, this was just a, a super gift that we were given. And I think it really runs 
along how we think is foolish investors. I mean, we're not contrarian for contrarian's sake, but we look at these businesses as businesses, as long-term entities, not just a stock price. So then, I mean, you fast forward to today, and I mean, you look at Einhorn, and, and it it appears that he's still short. And, and I mean, the stock is up like 34% from when he called that short. So he's he's getting hammered on that, right? And I, I mean, you have to kind of look at that and say, well, why was he calling the short to begin with? Competition from Taco Bell. I mean, I get what he's saying, but if you're a customer of Chipotle and you've eaten at Taco Bell, I think you know the difference between the two concepts. Yeah, there are a lot of reasons to be skeptical of Chipotle. Taco Bell's not. It's kind of tough to swallow that argument. So, I mean, you you look at that and you kind of think, all right, a lot of times these guys can create uh, opportunities because I think they just have a a generally shorter time frame than we tend to. Uh, And so, I think that's a great example of where foolish investing with that longer time time horizon can can play into our advantage a lot. Yeah, and you worry too. I think that's a great point about the the time frame. These guys do usually have shorter time frames. And the problem is a lot of times, especially to small and mid-sized companies, they get in there and they take a lot of management's time. Management has sort of has to respond to the you know the Einhorns and Ackmans of the world and that that distracts a lot from the process of running a business and right. creating value for shareholders. So it, they can be certainly a problem. So it's not always, um, you know, a good thing when when those guys get involved. So this, I was just looking at this earlier, man. Am I the only one here who thinks that Einhorn looks like Joe from the TV show Wings? Doesn't he look like Joe Hackett? Tim uh, Tim Daly, yeah, the actor. Yeah, I he does. He looks actually. like Joe from Wings. Look at him. Oh, yeah, yeah, I can see that. You realize this is an audio podcast, right? Well, then the people listening are just going to have to trust you. You can Google go this right image and look at it. The guy looks like Joe from Wayne's. Um, uh, I had never heard of this company until today, and I want to say the name of the company again, Air Products and Chemicals. That's the name of the company. Is that the most vanilla <laughs> name for a, a billion-dollar-plus company it's on the def- market? I mean, that's... Definitely vanilla. Yeah, I mean, General Electric, International Paper, Air Products and... Air Products <laughs> and Chemicals. Yeah, hey... No. Do you suppose they started with one and then someone had the bright idea to get the other? Maybe they just started as air products and someone said, wait a minute, I got a, I got an idea for a whole other division. Yeah. Chemical division. Chemicals. Diversify. We're, we're, I got one word for you. Chemicals. Let's get some new stationery. All right, Jason <laughs> Moser, Matt Argus, here. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Matt Greer helping us out behind the glass today. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. 